when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but, uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I'm flying solo on this edition. Cousin Shane busy watching Jeopardy, still dealing with the COVID. He's feeling good. He's feeling fine. So he's got to hang out with the in-laws tonight, so I couldn't drag him on the show. But don't worry. It's not going to be just me on this one. I've got J.C. Sherbert, founder of the Big Spur of South Carolina 24-7 Sports Network. Going to join the show here in just a minute. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this uh, interview even non-South Carolina fans. I've got uh, JC deliver the goods on this one. Really appreciate him hopping on the show. So we'll get to that in a moment here, but hey, sticking with the theme of South Carolina, I've been giving Shane Beamer a little bit of a hard time. He's rising up my charts of uh, SEC head coaches I'd want to grab a beer with, and I'll tell you why. Shane and I got fired up about the EA Sports announcement, college football video games returning. Turns out Shane Beamer, he also played the game during his college days. So let's kick it over real quick to Shane Beamer talking about uh, his glory days there at Virginia Tech playing the NCAA video game. Shane, I guess two questions for you. First of all, uh, how excited are you to get the NCAA football games back? Do you have an opinion on that? (laughs) Very. Uh, That was pretty cool. Props to Fink and his crew, too, for that uh, tweet yesterday with me on the cover. That was uh, pretty awesome um, as well, or, or who I'm assuming, who, anybody else that was responsible for that. My son thinks it's cool. He's at the age where he's getting into Madden, so when he saw that he's, his dad was on a quote-unquote video game cover, he was pretty excited. No, but that's awesome. I can remember playing it uh, growing up. Uh, the four-bedroom apartment that I lived in when, in college with three football players, that was kind of the epicenter of what we had going on in our apartment each and every day. Uh, Tommy Frazier in Nebraska, I was a big Donovan McNabb and Syracuse guy playing that game back in the day. So to have it uh, to have it coming back is uh, is pretty cool, and and uh, looking forward to seeing some Gamecocks on there as well and leading the charge on that. I don't know if I'm getting older or the coaches are just getting younger, but I think it's pretty cool. You th- Nick Saban, you think he's ever played the NCAA video game? I bet that man's never played a video game in his life. <laughs> 
Shane Bieber's got something on him, at least at least he does in my book, after those comments. So I like the fact that uh, we've got some SEC coaches that uh, can appreciate this game as much as uh, Shane and I do. But uh, hey, we've got a couple quick hitters before we get to uh, our interview here with J.C. Sherbert. It's been a slow week here in the SEC so far. Not a ton to get to, but we do got some big news in Gainesville. where the Gators have announced a home-and-home series with Notre Dame. That's the way we like it here. Home-and-home, none of this neutral site garbage. Get that the hell out of here. Only problem, the series is 10 years away, so the guys are going to be playing with it, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, but hell, that doesn't matter to me. We got Florida and Notre Dame in 2031. And then the following year in 2032, Florida is going to be traveling to Notre Dame 2031, hosting Notre Dame 2032. And all of a sudden, you know, we gave Georgia all this credit and they still deserve it for beefing up their non-conference schedule. You look at the, who the Bulldogs are playing in, in the years to come. It's a, you know, it's a who's who of elite college football programs. Florida, after, you know, an eternity, they've, Refused to leave the state. The only non-conference team they ever played was Florida State for years and years. Sometimes they'd play Miami, but even that, they've rarely played Miami here in recent years. Let's give Scott Strickland, the AD, Dan Mullen, a lot of credit here for adding to Florida's non-conference scheduling. The Florida Gator fans got so many games to look forward to. Look at this 2031. Again, I know this is a 10 years out here, but just look at who Florida's got in 2031. September 6th at Texas. That's a hell of a road trip. Just just came from Austin. I recommend all Florida fans, if you've never been down there, get yourself down to that game. That's going to be a hell of a game. September 13th, they host Arizona State. That should be a good game. Then the Notre Dame game, that's scheduled for November 15th. And then, of course, Florida State, November 29th. So, Texas, Arizona State, Notre Dame, Florida State. That's your current non-conference schedule for the Florida Gators 2031. I know that could change, subject to change, 10 years out. But, hell, this is a new day here in Gainesville when we're talking about non-conference scheduling. And that's not it. I mean, look at some of the opponents Florida's got in the years to come. 2022, they're playing Utah. 2023, they're going to Utah. Playing Miami 2024, 2025, also playing Miami. They got Cal, NC State, a trip to Arizona State, Colorado. I mean, they've got tons of Power 5 trips coming here. And that's that's what's great. I mean, the Swamp, iconic, one of the best stadiums in all of college football. But fans deserve these trips. Man, road trips. Some of the road, the best times I've had watching college football is on the road. Hitting the road, going to a new place I've never been before, get to experience the town, get hammered, then go to a game, get hammered again. So, hey, that's what Florida fans should be doing up at South Bend in 2031, and I'll be, maybe I'll be there. As long as Jeopardy's not on, Cousin Shane, maybe I can get him up there too. All right, next, let's kick it all down to LSU. It's my honor to present the National Championship Trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Got a little bit of, a couple items here for the Tigers. They landed uh, four-star receiver Brian Thomas from Louisiana. Now, this is uh, a guy that uh, was supposed to make his decision on National Signing Day. He held off a little bit here. He's not just committed to LSU, 
over Texas A&M, and I think he had offers from Georgia and Alabama as well. But this is a high school All-American that is now signed with LSU, and what that means is uh, the Tigers landed the top four overall prospects in the recruiting cycle and five of the top six. So Coach O, that was one of the things when he took over there. He promised to lock down the state, and he's doing it now. And also, with this addition of uh, Brian Thomas, the four-star receiver, LSU has jumped Georgia in the recruiting rankings. So LSU finishes number three in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Georgia, number four. Not a huge difference, obviously, there, but either one you can win a championship with enough classes ranked in the top four. But, hell, LSU's got one more thing they can pound their chest about uh, here this offseason. You can finish with a top three recruiting class, and that's after a damn five and five season, and you you know enforce the bull ban and all that. But this is obviously the momentum from that 2019 recruiting class still fresh in the mind with all these recruits wanting to go to LSU. So big news there. And in addition to that, that's not the only thing. LSU again not just landed a commitment, but signed Clemson graduate transfer Mike Jones. He's a linebacker. It's a position of need. LSU's returning 20 of 22 starters from last season, if I'm not mistaken. But one of those guys they're losing was uh, Jabril Cox, the linebacker. Mike Jones may be able to slide right in and take the place of Jabril Cox. And this is a nice pickup here for the Tigers because, you know, normal graduate transfer, he'll be eligible immediately, regardless of whether there's uh, NCAA waivers or not. It doesn't matter. He's a graduate transfer. And here's the big one. He's got three seasons of eligibility if he wants to. He was a redshirt sophomore last season for Clemson. He was a starter for Clemson, had 26 tackles, two interceptions. So this is a quality pickup. You know, not a game breaker. It's not like they LSU is just all of a juggernaut now because they got Mike Jones. But the more experienced players like this you, you return, big news for the Tigers who need to get that corrected on that side of the ball. Hell, if they had a defense last year, they may have contended for the SEC. That was the, the their huge issue. So they got a new system in place, bringing in all kinds of experienced players back. Now they're getting another one. I know he's new to LSU, but he's experienced. He started for Clemson, played last two years at Clemson quite a bit here. So nice pickup for LSU, beat out a number of SEC teams for Mike Jones Jr. And how about this for you? I'm making myself sound old here again. If you remember the Rams-Titans Super Bowl, remember where he came down to a tackle like on the one or two yard line? That was Mike Jones's dad, Mike Jones Sr. How about that? And that's not the only family connection. I got to admit, I don't know who this is, but I saw this, so I figured I'd mention it. His sister, Coco Jones, is apparently a Disney star. So there you go. I mean, what more could you want, LSU? You got a Disney star and a Super Bowl champ, at least a family member, joined the the program there at LSU. It's been a good week for them Tigers on the Bayou. All right, final team I wanted to hit on here. Jump it on down to Rocky Top. Oh, my God. What is going on here with Josh Heupel trying to put together a defensive staff? Don't believe everything you hear out there. I mean, what was the latest comes from old Jimmy Himes saying that, uh, well, first he got the damn name wrong, but he said Brian Baker, but he meant Blaine Baker, the new LSU linebackers coach, former Miami defensive coordinator, said he was offered the Tennessee defensive coordinator job. He said this on Tuesday evening. 
that on Wednesday he comes out and says, Baker talked to them about it. He no longer is saying that uh, he was offered the job, but he says, talk to Tennessee, has decided to stay at LSU. The part about Baker staying at LSU is true. From what I hear, not true that he was offered the job. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I don't think Tennessee's reached that far down its list. But, you know, this is uh, starting to be a little bit like LSU a couple of weeks ago. This is a concern, and it's twofold for Tennessee. Obviously, you can just point to the fact that, you know, there's sanctions coming, and you don't know the future or what how the NCAA is going to come down on the Tennessee Vols. I think that is an obstacle standing in Josh Heupel's way, and he's kind of gone out of his way. He's not hiring anybody on the defensive side of the ball until he gets his defensive coordinator, it sounds like, because there's just no information on anything there. But, I mean, they went after – the list is getting pretty long here on, on guys they've talked to. I heard they went after Tulsa defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie. That would have been a hell of a hire. Didn't work out for him. The Louisville defensive coordinator, they got him a raise, and he now he's the associate head coach at Louisville. So certainly he was on the list. Like I said, I'm not buying this Baker. The big rumor was uh, Al Washington. Apparently they tried to get him, and he's an Ohio State linebacker coach. He's only been a linebacker coach a couple of years. Offered him the position of defensive coordinator. Nothing has kind of come out that said Al Washington's out of it, but certainly sounds like, He's leaning towards staying with Ohio State. But again, I'm hearing, you know, don't write him off. He's the one that they're, they're, they're targeting until Ohio State comes out and says, you know, he's staying or <laughs> until Tennessee announces a defensive coordinator. That's not Al Washington. I think he's still in the running. So he's got a big deal reportedly on the table for over a million dollars. I mean, hell, Tennessee's offering to make this Al Washington, a guy I never even heard of until about a week ago, a top five paid defensive coordinator in the nation. Again, Tennessee is is not looking good from a NCAA point. We all know that. But here's another factor that I think is being overlooked when it comes to Tennessee's struggles to get a defensive coordinator. Josh Heupel, and keep in mind, people may think I've got uh, some kind of narrative against Josh Heupel. My God, I mean, when his name first surfaced, try to find someone that was uh, – you know, considering this a solid hire for Tennessee, and I still think it could be. I'm not trying to shit on Josh Heupel here, but the truth of the matter is the last couple stops, he's at UCF with Randy Shannon and at Missouri with Barry Odom. I don't think the defensive staffs at UCF and Missouri really saw eye-to-eye with Josh Heupel. I'll just say that. And, you know, these guys that are being interviewed to be the Tennessee defensive coordinator, you know they're talking to their buddies. What's it like to work for Josh Heupel? Do you recommend I go there? And that's something Tennessee's been touting when they hired Josh Heupel. He runs the fastest damn offense in college football, which is great, you know, for watching the game and the excitement and all this. And the point of doing that is to wear out defenses, the opposing defense. But if you don't sustain long drives, you go three and out or you score quickly or you have a turnover, you know, so many things can happen. If if you put your offense side on the field and they're back on the damn sideline in a minute because they're running – you know, a play every 30 seconds, that's going to wear your defense out. So they got to find someone that uh, can work with an offense that's going to, there's got to be a marriage here of a defensive coordinator that knows what he's getting into, can handle so many players being on the field for, for so many snaps. Every defense across the board, the more snaps are on the field, the tougher it is to defend. Players get tired. And Tennessee's obviously going to have a thin roster in the years to come. So 
that's something to consider. I think that is really hurting Josh Heupel, maybe even more than the NCAA stuff, is trying to find someone that fits with what he wants to do on offense. It's a tough ask for a defensive coordinator. And like I said, if they go back to Randy Shannon, if they go back to Barry Odom, two of the big, you know, they may not be the two best coordinators in the nation, but they're very respected and they're well-connected. And they, I don't think we're big fans of Josh Heupel and the way he ran his offense and it made their defenses look bad. And I think that's kind of, the word going around the co- the coaching ranks, you know, you got to you really got to be careful getting paired with Josh Heupel. He's really got to he's got to find a perfect piece there. We all know how important that defensive coordinator hire is going to potentially make or break Josh Heupel's career here. So it's smart not to rush into it, but at the same time, don't read everything you're you're saying like this uh, Baker guy. According to Jimmy Himes, he would be a damn nightmare matchup. People look at his stats. 2019, he was he was pretty good, they say. Well, that was when he was paired with Dan Enos. Dan Enos runs a pro-style, slow-it-down system. He's not, you know, trying to go fast. They hired Rhett Lashley, former Gus Malzahn assistant, who goes fast as hell. The defense fell apart. If that was Tennessee's selection, Blake Baker, Tennessee would have a god-awful defense the entire time he was there. So, I mean, he should not even be in consideration, is basically what I'm saying. And they can't... You know, don't just make a hire to make a hire. You got to find that right hire. And I think that's probably why it's taken a little bit long here for Tennessee to find their guy. Maybe waiting it out for Al Washington here. But, you know, that's going to be one to watch in the days to come. All right, I spieled on long enough here. Let's get to our interview. J.C. Sherbert, owner of the Big Spur, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And he's the host of the Inside Gamecocks podcast and the J.C. and Morgan college football podcast. You can find the links to all that in the show notes. Let's kick it over to our interview. We're pleased now to be joined by J.C. Sherbert. And, of course, Gamecock fans, everybody knows that name. He's the owner of the Big Spur, part of the uh, 24-7 Sports Network, and he's the host of the Inside Gamecocks podcast and the J.C. Morgan college football podcast jc thanks for joining me i really do appreciate you hey mike no problem glad to jump on with you and um be a part of this podcast i'll tell you during the 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 summer months when it looked like we weren't may not have sec football this year and uh everybody was kind of debating about the pandemic or whatnot uh i uh i did a lot of driving around and listening to you guys uh and some other podcasts that, that i went to and you guys kind of got me through it personally. So it's an honor to be here uh, and talking to you about a little Gamecock football. All right, great. Well, hey, I got to start obviously there with, uh, you know, just talking about the Gamecocks because I've got some flack here lately. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of Shane Beamer higher. Not that I think it's going to be terrible. Hell, you could you could be uh, Tennessee right now and have Josh Heupel. I think I'd rather have Shane Beamer and his staff, uh, Josh Heupel, can't even get himself a coordinator there, but kind of talk me off the ledge. I don't, I don't want to say off the ledge here, but to, you know, what is the most optimistic part of Shane Beamer running the Gamecock program in your eyes? It's it's, it's difficult to evaluate. And, and I understand from the out, outside people that are skeptical about any coach that you bring in that isn't known for a, a great offense or a great defense. You hadn't had the coordinator experience and all that because you kind of like to point to something, right? You kind of like to look at it and go, 
well, you know, this, this is what, this is how many yards they put up or this is how many yards they held this team to. And, you know, that's the reason this person's the head coach. And that doesn't exist with Shane. You got to kind of dig a little bit deeper uh, with, with the, uh, the resume, but I've known this guy for a long time. Um, Didn't know he would be back at South Carolina as the head coach, but when he left South Carolina in 2010, I I wrote for ESPN.com at the time when I was a national recruiting writer that this guy would be a future head coach. Uh, and I've always known that. Um, extremely organized, knows uh, sort of how to run a program in the modern era. And I'll tell you, Mike, if you look around, things are changing. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of coaching hires that have been made the last five years that I would have sworn would have never worked out that, that have. Uh, and then the, that I would have sworn would have worked out that didn't, more so on the didn't end. I mean, you look at Tom Herman at Texas. I would have never thought that would have worked out. It was a home run. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan hasn't hasn't not worked out yet, but uh, you tell me if you didn't expect a little more out of him. Chip Kelly at UCLA, uh, Scott Frost at uh, Nebraska. I mean, Florida's top two during their last coaching search was were, were Chip Kelly and Scott Frost. They both went elsewhere, and then look at who's winning. It's Danny Kicks, Danny Mullen. You know, he's twenty nine and nine for the Gators, and. Um, you know, sometimes it's the guy that's kind of familiar with your place. And sometimes it's the guy that, quite frankly, you know, kind of understands where he's at because th- th- there's a lot of places that maybe try to copy other schools. And, and, and I think sometimes when you do that, you, you end up being a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And, and that, that diminishes your quality. Certain things work at certain schools, certain, certain things don't. I think it's ridiculous for South Carolina to try to be Alabama or Georgia. I don't think they'll ever be uh, a school that, you know, you can sit there and and recruit like Bama and Georgia and run the Saban process and and do all that and, and be successful. I I think that's unrealistic. I I think South Carolina has to be different. And I think Shane Beamer brings that to the table. He's also an outstanding recruiter. uh, And he's a guy that also recognizes coaching uh, talent. Uh, You know, if you could go back in time, and look at the better staff Steve Spurrier had. You know, Shane Beamer was responsible uh, for introducing a lot of those coaches to Steve Spurrier. He's just got that big of a Rolodex. And, uh, you know, shoot, he's lost uh, a couple of coaches, uh, you know, that uh, a couple that he uh, had kept and a couple that went to Auburn and a couple went to the NFL. And he's filled them with quality people. And, and so I, I think all that makes it a good hire uh, sneaky good hire for the Gamecocks because I think that you know you look at the program and how it just bottomed out this year under Muschamp there's a lot of healing that has to take place in the locker room Shane Beamer's been very smart with his off the field support staff uh, from strength coach to a guy named Derek Moore who he got from Georgia Tech who uh, is one of the biggest inspirational guys in college football um, and to every coach sort of being on the same page of hey you know this is positive energy got to get this thing going back in the right direction. And and that's kind of what South Carolina needs. Can't guarantee he's going to win. It's a tough job, but I think with the way the East is right now there, I still keep waiting for there not to be an opportunity for South Carolina to get back up in that top three. Uh, But there is, you know, there's, uh, there's really no reason right now why South Carolina can't compete with Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. That's four games every year. Um, and we'll see if they can do it this coming season. Um, but uh, that, those are all the reasons I think that Shane Beamer was a good hire for South Carolina. I understand 
again, the skepticism from the outside because, like I said, there's nothing you could point to. But, uh, you know, good or bad, really, um, except, you know, he was assistant head coach to a couple of coaches that are, you know, pretty big time. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I have a lot of faith in him just having known him all these years and, you know, understanding exactly what South Carolina as a program right now needs uh, to get back to that point where they're competing with Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, because they're not doing it right now. Now, of all the hires Shane Beamer has made, whether it be a coordinator or assistant or, you know, even someone off the field, which, if there's one hire that's kind of impressed you the most, who would that be? I, I would have to go with, you know, and, and your listeners will recognize this name, Justin Stepp, who was the receivers coach at Arkansas. I mean, this guy was at SMU, uh, got to SMU with Chad Morris. They were in shambles. He goes out and recruits and develops players that, that go to the NFL or whatever. Uh, and you got to find guys at SMU. They're, you know, you're in Texas there, and you got to kind of wait for the other guys. And then at Arkansas, he's at Arkansas for – the worst two-year period I think they've ever had when Morris was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he landed eight four-star guys. Uh, and Justin Steph is from the state of South Carolina. He's from Columbia. Uh, it's kind of a dream for him to come back home. And and I think when you look at South Carolina's receiving core as a whole, you know, two things stick out. Number one, there's no reason, given the wide receiver talent that comes out of that state, that South Carolina should be terrible at receiver or as bad as they were last year. And number two, if you want to got to fix it, it's Justin Stepp. Um, so, so that that's the guy there off the field. Uh, you know, Derek Moore is probably somebody that people are familiar with. I would just go Google Derek Moore, Georgia Tech motivational speak speech, uh, and just kind of see what he brings to the table. It, it, it's it, it's beyond just being a guy that gives a great speech before a game. Lots of people can do that. Um, you know, he really gets in there with the players, works with them one on one. These days, Mike, you have to have the complete package because. Kids that play ball these days are different. It's a lot different uh, mindset. It's a lot different in terms of how you reach this generation. Um, and Derek Moore is a guy that can, I think, can help uh, in that regard, which is, a, you know, I talk about what South Carolina needs. Uh, a lot of the mental aspect of it uh, needs to be sort of uh, reexamined and, and, and rebuilt, so to speak. And I think you know, having a guy like Derek there really helps that. Now, on the latest uh, edition, the National Signing Day breakdown of uh, the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, you did a really good job explaining to fans why, yes, you look at the rankings, South Carolina, dead last in the SEC. They had a very small class. Can you give the listeners here on, on my show just a, you know, a brief breakdown on why South Carolina fans shouldn't be freaking out by that uh, number 14 ranking? Yeah, I mean, you look at it, they only counted 13 guys and having, you know, worked from day one at 24-7 sports and sort of helped with the in the meetings to design that formula, it's, it's really, it does punish you. It punishes you for not having four-star, five-star players, and it punishes you for not having a lot of players. In South Carolina, you know, had 13 guys. I don't think they had a four-star in the class. Uh, but what you have to keep in mind is, number one, you know, South Carolina's entire 2020 recruiting class, which was ranked 19th in the country, which is pretty good, all redshirted and only one guy is left. So, so all those guys are still there. So what Shane Beamer and his staff did was they focused on the portal uh, and junior college players. So, so those 10 guys that ended up the, the three JUCOs and the seven portal guys, they're distributed throughout the roster. 
In other words, there's some seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen. So South Carolina doesn't have this uber huge freshman class, which can, you know, screw up your numbers down the road. Um, and then, so that's a, in a year where you probably were not going to sign a, a you know, you're going to have to take a lot of gambles with a lot of, a lot of freshmen. I think it's smart to go in that direction. Um, and, and then, in, and so you look at it and, in, in, you know, in case they all don't hit and, and you don't have a lot of difference makers in this class, uh, it, it's not like a bulk of your roster down the road. So you're not sitting there going, oh man, you know, when, when this class gets to be in a leadership role, we're going to be really hurting because you have that 2020 class all red shirted. You've only lost one. They're all in. So, so it's almost like, you know, kind of a filler class. And, and I, I think that was pretty smart. They had a lot of immediate needs that they were going to have to hit the portal for, especially a wide receiver. They needed a quarterback, needed some uh, depth in the secondary and on the D line. And so, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a wise move because, you know, you take the PR hit because yeah, it's an ugly number. You take it and, and, and the optics don't look good. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be talking about it during the off season. And it's going to be uh, a pretty sexy pick to pick the Gamecocks last, I think in the East below Vandy. Um, and I, I think that's probably going to happen and people are going to point to that class, but you know, the bottom line is they got help where they needed it. And it's such a small class. And, and so just, it's distributed. So, you know, differently throughout the roster, you know, that really down the road, it's, it's not going to kill them uh, in case they don't work out. I think there's some good football players in that class. I think there's some guys that are going to have to develop. I, I like all the transfers. Um, so we'll see what happens, but, uh, you know, certainly that number was ugly, uh, but and I don't want to say ugly by design because nobody really wants it to be, you know, ugly by design. But given the way they approached it, you know, and, and just the the simple math where, you know, you're, those seven guys aren't going to count. I mean, bottom line, they're not going to count. Um, you know, I, I think that it, there's a little bit more that meets the that meets the eye uh, than just that um, that big ugly number. Now, I'm glad you referenced the transfers there because they brought in a ton of them. Is there one or two specifically that you're, you're really anticipating having a, a major impact on this team next season? Yeah, Amarian Brown is a slot receiver that I think, to be honest, he's, he's, he's at least as good as Shai Smith, in my opinion, having watched him at Georgia Tech. Uh, probably a little bit different than Shai in terms of uh, – straight line breakaway explosive ability. I, I talked to some folks that coached with coached him at Georgia tech and boy, they just raved about the guy. He's from Tampa, Tampa Jefferson, home of Steven Garcia. So uh -oh. there's a, there's a, a Gamecock lure there, a connection there. And, and he's kind of what the Gamecocks need uh, there offensively. I think, um, I think he's one to watch. And then there's this kid, man, from Delaware, he's a linebacker. His name's Daryl Williams. He's Debo. He calls himself Debo. Well, you look out for this guy, man. His film, you, you turn it on, and, and he's not like a – he's one of these transfers, though, that, that still has five years left because he went to Delaware, University of Delaware. They canceled their season, um, and then he transferred. Um, and, and you look at him, he's Marshawn Lloyd's high school buddy. And, and so you look at him on film, and you're like, my goodness, this guy's like a heat-sinking missile. And – and then you see him in the weight room and he's, he's just all jacked up and like uh, enthusiastic about that. And the coaches are raving about him. Uh, so, so if you look at, if you're looking for a sleeper out there for South Carolina next year, write the name Debo Williams down uh, at linebacker, because uh, he's, he's probably going to be a guy that at least makes some noise on special teams. Now you mentioned Marshawn Lloyd right there, Shane Beamer, 
this week gave a promising update. You know, he didn't necessarily say, you know, he's going to be suited up and going through all the drills this spring, but he kind of indicated that, you know, he should be participating at least as long as his rehab continues to, to go in the right direction here. So, you know, taking that into consideration and Kevin Harris having a huge season last year, is it fair to say that uh, South Carolina may have the best one-two punch in the SEC at running back next year? And see, that's a start, you know, and, and with the type of offense they're going to run, there's going to be a lot of Lincoln-Riley influence. And a lot of people think that, you know, they, you say Lincoln-Riley, people are like, oh, come on, man. Uh, and, and what I mean by this is Lincoln-Riley influence, like his schemes and his concepts. And if you notice, Oklahoma loves to run. They love to run the football uh, out of their formations and stuff, especially with multiple backs. Uh, South Carolina has not only those two guys coming back, they have five starters coming back on the offensive line. Uh, they do lose Sedarius Hutcherson up front, but they get Jordan Rhodes, who opted out last year back, and Jordan started uh, all of 2019. So you got five starters, maybe three people that are seniors on the offensive line. Boy, that's a great start when you talk about those two backs and, and all that. You got to have a quarterback, obviously. Uh, and you got to have some help at receiver, and, and they got good tight ends and H backs coming back too. So I, I think that that's the key. You know, if Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks are going to surprise people this year, if the offense is going to take a step forward statistically and, and all that this year, you know, that's where it's got to start in the run game with Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris. And, you know, Kevin Harris is good. Marshawn Lloyd is was an elite recruit. Um, you know, and you, you have to you have to think that that's that's at least along with the line coming back uh, a pretty good start for the Gamecocks. Now you reference the quarterback there. I know it's you know so far down the road here, but if you had to make a prediction right now, who's taking that first snap for the Gamecocks? Do you think it's Luke Doty? Shoot, I don't know. You know, Luke Doty was kind of penciled in, um, and I, I like Luke a lot. And you know, some people watched Luke play last year, those last couple of games, and. I mean, you know, he's a true freshman. He did some true freshman stuff. Um, you know, that don't don't write him off based on that. But uh, you know, in especially in the passing game, but he's got some wheels to him. He can he can make all the throws. Uh, he's a very very competitive kid, uh, which you need. You need that moxie out there. But they brought in a guy in the transfer portal um, that's very very competitive as well, Jason Brown from uh, St. Francis of PA. I have no idea. I have no idea, Mike, who recruited Chancellor High School in Fredericksburg, Virginia, <laughs> and missed on, on Jason Brown and EJ Jenkins to where they all ended up at, uh, at, at St. Francis. You know, I mean, where's Old Dominion? Where's Towson? Where, shoot, where's Maryland for these guys? I mean, I, I was like, wow. You know, even Virginia, Virginia Tech, I'm like, Whoever was recruit, whoever had that school, man, Old Dominion, you know, they 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 probably need to have a talking to because I, I couldn't believe these kids played for St. Francis, PA. Um, and of course, Jenkins is a six foot seven, two hundred forty pound receiver, uh, who's if if he can adjust to the speed of the SEC game, he can be a freak. Uh, but you look at Brown, uh, Brown's kind of like the guys they like in the pros a lot these days because he's six three, he's two thirty, he's not a a dual threat traditional guy where you'd say yeah we're going to go run him on zone read and all that but he can run just enough to get yards and he's got a really good arm and so he's the prototype quarterback that people really like these days now 
I mentioned that thing before about adjusting to the speed of the SEC. Can he do it? Yeah, and that, that's going to be the whole question with the two guys from St. Francis because they're not playing anybody up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody close to who South Carolina's got to play. But I, I do think that Brown coming in does give Doty some competition uh, big time, you know, and, and you don't know who's going to win it. And it's, it's, it's probably going to be good for both of them that there is that type of competition. Um, and so that, that, that will probably last, I think, into the fall. Um, I, I think that, you know, and whoever wins, I think Gamecock fans need to get behind him because we've had a real toxic experience with Gamecock fans and quarterbacks here from Jake Bentley through the Colin Hill and, and uh, stuff, Colin Hill stuff last year. And, and then finally into Doty, I think, I think it's time for the Gamecock fans to rally behind whoever gets the quarterback job. Uh, and, and I'm going to say, I don't know which one that will be. I can see scenarios where either one wins. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, breakout candidates on South Carolina's roster, maybe a player or two that uh, maybe your casual SEC fan doesn't know, you know, insert players, kind of like a uh, Kevin Harris going into – he just had such a huge year last season. Uh, who's a player or two that comes to your mind that could have that kind of breakout for the, the Gamecocks next season? I'm going to go with a, a guy that plays H-back um, – Probably it's H back in this system. He was a tight end previously uh, named Jaheim Bell. He'll be a redshirt freshman. He's from Valdosta, Georgia. South Carolina beat Oklahoma and Florida on him in recruiting. Uh, when he played last year, it looked like he belonged. He had a knee injury that, you know, kept him from really even practicing until like mid to late October. Uh, and I think in this system, you know, he'll be a guy that you go, man, that guy's catching some passes. Where did he come from? Uh, that's offensively. You know, on, on defense, uh, you know, everybody finally heard about J.J. Enigbare last year, and everybody knows about Jordan Birch because he's a, he's a five-star guy. But I, I'm going to go with another defensive end that, that may not start, but he's going to make some noise. He played really well last year uh, in the situations he was put in, uh, and that's Tonka Hemingway. Tonka Hemingway, number 91, uh, like I said, played really well when he played last year. Uh, I think he's ready to take that next step. Now, are they going to start him over Birch and Enigbare? Probably not. But I think you're going to see him make a lot of plays uh, here coming up for the Gamecocks this season. Now, I don't know why, for whatever reason, maybe it was a Will Muschamp thing, but it seemed like South Carolina always started spring camp so early. They pushed it back this year. Uh, Shane Beamer's talked about that. I think that's, you know, the wise decision. You got to implement your system and strength coach and all that. So, uh, thoughts on them kind of pushing the spring back and and what's a, the big storylines you're going to be watching this year with the Gamecocks once they get into spring? Well, I'd say as far as pushing it back, that, that's needed. I mean, everybody I talked to, previous staff, current staff, whatever, during the transition, it's like this locker room needs to heal. They need to heal. They need positive reinforcement. Uh, they need to get to know this new coaching staff. Uh, they need to blend with the new players. I, I think that that's smart to start a little late because, you know, there is a mental and, and, and I guess I don't want to say emotional, but social side of it to where you need to bond with your teammates. And, and that was a big problem with South Carolina last year. They had a lot of guys that were just kind of doing their own thing. They, they weren't really playing together as a team for most of the season. And, um, and that was unfortunate. And that's why, that's why they went two and eight and there was a coaching change, but uh so, so I think that I, I think as far as like what I'm looking for in the spring is where is everybody going to play? In, in other words, like, 
you know, you, you look at the receivers and H backs and tight ends. Okay. Well, who, who, who's really going to play this and who's really going to play that. They have 18 receivers on their roster this spring, 13 scholarship guys. A lot of these guys have done absolutely nothing, uh, whether that's because of injury or, or, or other since they've been at South Carolina. So I'm wondering, are they going to move some guys to the secondary? Also, uh, the new defensive coordinator, Clayton White, he runs a 4-2-5 base defense. It's different than Muschamp's. So he uses like a spur nickel type of guy. Uh, so, so who's going to play that that fifth DB spot, you know? Uh, under Ellis Johnson, when he was here and, and, and they ran a 4-2-5, that was called a spur. And guys like Darian Stewart, Devontae Holloman, and Antonio Allen played that spot. Um, but, you know, some guys use it differently. With some guys, it's like a, it's just an extra corner or it's, a, it's an extra safety or it's not really quite a safety linebacker or whatever. So I'm curious to see in the secondary who goes where. Because, honestly, you, you look and you see like a list of guys in the secondary. They're all DBs. But you don't quite know. Uh, because they did cross train under Muschamp quite a bit. You know, you don't quite know who's going to be a safety, who's going to be a corner. Torian Gray, the new defensive backs coach, I think is one of the best in the country. Uh, and he's going to figure all that out. So that that's one thing I'm really looking for. Uh, besides things like the quarterback battle mm-hmm. and stuff like that is how is it, how are, what are, where are they going to place some of these guys uh, moving forward? And so who's going to be competing and all that. Now, another benefit potentially of pushing that spring back is, you know, obviously you're going to have a later spring game. And my understanding is uh, the NCAA dead period runs till April 15th, if I'm not mistaken. And I know you're far more plugged in than just Columbia and South Carolina, very plugged into the recruiting scene all across the country. Who in the hell knows what the NCAA is going to do with this dead period? But are you are you getting any <laughs> feedback on on whether, you know, if they lift it at the 15th, you know, if they're going to be able to host prospects at, uh, if it's a, at a later date than the April 15th. I mean, yeah, that would be huge. I think, and I don't know if they made this with that in mind, but uh, that would be huge to at least have some prospects on campus. I mean, obviously I, I don't think at that point we're going to be in a position to where there's not like a, a crowd restriction. In other words, um, it, it, it's a, uh, in other words, they'll limit they'll limit it to fifteen thousand, just like mm-hmm. they did the regular games. But you know, if you can have guys masked up on the sidelines making visits or whatever, that would be outstanding because it's uh, you know th- that's obviously an advantage to get kids on your campus. South Carolina, you know, they built that big nice uh, football facility, and that they really haven't had a full recruiting cycle uh, to where it mattered. You know, because they 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 opened it sort of late and. You know, to get started on 2020, uh, and then it, they end up. You know, COVID ends up killing it for 2021, and so it's been kind of a closed building and stuff. So that's that would be huge for them. And um, you know, what I've been hearing, you know, the April 15th thing, uh, I've heard two different things that they're going to try to do something. In other words, to lift some restrictions from April 15th. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is it's probably going to go on until June. Uh, so don't be surprised if it does, keeps right on going and they're sitting there, schools are sitting there trying to Zoom recruit, which is, I think, Mike, completely unfair. I think it's 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 awful, uh, you know, because some of these kids are, are making decisions, you know, based on Zoom. That's like uh, marrying somebody off online dating. <laughs> I mean, seriously, come on, man. I mean, you know, it's like getting on match and being like, all right, all right, let's just get married. All right. All right. You know, 
and 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 I just don't think that's that's healthy. So, uh, and that's not going to be good for the transfer portal here in a couple of years. So, I'm I'm hopeful that that they do, you know, allow some common sense, safe visit type of things to to occur uh, after after April fifteenth. All right, last thing for you, JC, and I'm not going to hold you to this because it's so early and. Who in the hell knows what's going to happen with, with spring and, and hopefully no one gets injured, but we know players inevitably will. If everything breaks right for the Gamecocks, can you give me, you know, an early record prediction for South Carolina next season? What, how many wins are you expecting from this team next year? I think if things break right, South Carolina can, can get, if you look at their schedule and, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a good deal because they open with Eastern Illinois they have a road game at East Carolina, which is going to scare people. But, you know, East Carolina's not all the way back. Then they go to Georgia, and that's not good. But then they got Kentucky at home, Troy at home, at Tennessee, and then Vandy at home. So that's not a, that's not a brutal type of deal. <laughs> you know, if you, if you really think about it, they, they should start 2-0 and and Kentucky, Tennessee, toss-ups. They should beat Vandy. I'm not going to. I'm not going to, they haven't lost to Vandy in a long time. I'm not going to give Vandy that win. Uh, they should beat Troy. So the first part of their schedule sets up for a, you know, five and two type of start if things go their way. So it's, uh, uh, I think they could get back to six wins, get back to a minor bowl, uh, and then get some recruiting classes in. All is not lost. This, this roster is not as bad as the roster Will Muschamp took over from Steve Spurrier. It, it may be a roster that mentally doesn't believe it can win, uh, unlike Spurrier's guys who could. But, you know, you look at this roster, you, you got 17 offensive linemen in the program right now. Uh, all are pretty good and athletic. That That's an awesome number. Uh, you know, you look, you're probably going to be too deep on the defensive line, which is some schools can't do that with quality guys. Uh, the running backs, like you mentioned. Uh, there are numbers at linebacker now, numbers at tight end H-back. I mean, so there are pieces in place there. It just it just has to come together. And it starts with this, uh, you know, mental recovery type of thing uh, here before they start spring practice. So I, I'm not – I don't even think I'm being a homer by saying uh, that I think South Carolina can get back to a, a bowl next year. I just, I just know the media in, in this conference, and every year they pick one thing, right? So – a few years ago, the Gamecocks are going to win the East, right? So, and then it was like, well, no, 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 that's not it. So, so Tennessee's going to be back, you know, that that's one thing. And then Missouri, because of their schedule, they're going to go into that game with Georgia undefeated and, and may they may win the East with Kelly Bryant, right? And uh, that team finished six and six. Barry Odom got fired. Um, you know, Kentucky was going to be the darlings this year and they did get to a bowl and they had a nice season, but did that team compete for the East? I, I don't, I don't know. You know, we still haven't seen Tennessee get back. I mean, there, there's good, there's always these darlings in the East. And, and I think that that won't be South Carolina this year, thankfully, because it was in 2018 and they finished a disappointing seven and six. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that'll be a good thing for the Gamecocks. Let somebody else be the darling. But I do think one of the popular takes is going to be, South Carolina will finish dead last. And I think they'll use the recruiting ranking without any context to say it. Uh, and then the fact Carolina was two and eight last year uh, to just combine into a, they, they're terrible. 
all that good stuff. I've already seen it. I'm waiting on it, but I, I, I'll disagree with that and say uh, I don't think I'm being a homer saying the Gamecocks can get to a bowl given the schedule. Well, I think I'm uh, damn guilty of just about everything, all those narratives you just said. So that's a good note to get on out on. Here. <laughs> no, 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 man. I've, no, 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 no. Because I, I've, I talked about, but no, that, that's I'm guilty of it too. I mean, it's not. I'm not. Uh, I, I hate it because no, I looked at the Missouri schedule and said, yeah. I mean, and, and then they started four and zero, and I was like, yeah. And then Kelly Bryant started, you know, doing Kelly Bryant kind of things, and it was. It was over, you know, <laughs> and then they lost to Vandy and it was crazy. Uh, you know, and then South Carolina a couple of years ago, I was on that bandwagon as well. I thought they were going to beat Georgia uh, in game two and they didn't. And that was just, uh, that was it. And then I, I started becoming skeptical with Kentucky this year. I was like, yeah, you know, everybody said this about Missouri last year. And I just, I don't know, you know, so no, no, nah, don't, don't feel bad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you on some of these narratives. I'm just saying, I guarantee you a narrative will be South Carolina's finishing seventh in the East and dead last in the SEC this mm. year. All right. Well, he's JC Sherbert. Once again, the owner of the big spur, the go-to site for South Carolina information. You got to check out the podcast inside the Gamecocks podcast and the JC and Morgan college football podcast. JC, thanks again for joining me. I really do appreciate you. Hey Mac, it's an honor and uh, certainly always good to be on and, Hopefully we'll talk again soon, several times maybe between now and the start of the season. Sounds great. I want to say thanks again to JC for hopping on the show here. And, you know, he's done a lot to promote the show. He really is a fan of it. So it was, a, it was a treat of mine to have him on the show. And, you know, he really does have a fantastic podcast that I listen to for all my Gamecock information. Again, that's inside the Gamecocks podcast. So subscribe to their podcast. Give it a five-star rating. You won't be disappointed with that. But uh, hey, that's all I got on this one. Hope you guys appreciate it. Hope Cousin Shane enjoyed his uh, episode of Jeopardy while I was spieling here. But uh, hey, that's going to do it. If you made it this far, don't forget, leave us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcasts app, and we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. We've got almost every SEC team covered. Just give us that five-star written review. Mail that over to thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. That's in the show notes as well. We'll get you that beer koozie free of charge. And don't forget to check out Tee Public for merchandise. We got all kinds of uh, every team, I believe. Head on over to Tee Public. We got merchandise for sale, t-shirts, mugs, computer cases, phone cases, we got uh, damn near everything you can want there in terms of merchandise for the podcast and team-oriented colors as well. So head on over to Tee Public. That's in the show notes as well. But that's going to do it. Thanks for joining us. As always, catch you on the next one.